This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Uh, not a great day, though, for uh, some of the workers at this engine block plant down Windsor Way. You might recall last week we were talking about NEMAC and uh, 180 some odd uh, workers there with Unifor were being told their jobs were going to go- be gone in uh, early 2000. Uh, and 20, whereas they had an agreement, uh, this was something that was ironclad until 2022 anyway, and uh, now this company based in Mexico is withdrawing the jobs to Monterey, and that set off a firestorm of protest. In fact, the workers took over the plant last time we heard. Now, uh, to update the file, Jerry Diaz has joined us on the line. He's a national president with Unifor and was down there for a big rally, the community showing solidarity with these workers who have been displaced. Jerry, it's good to have you back on the show. How are things today in Windsor? Well, let's just say it's a, it was a full house at the rally today. It's uh, it was business as usual as people are fighting to maintain their jobs. You know, uh, when we last spoke, and that was when the workers took over the plant. Uh, how was that ever resolved? Well, uh, our members haven't. They're actually not in the plant. Uh, we're just outside. We have a, a major protest going on, and uh, obviously, we've had some discussions with the company, but they're still maintaining that. Look, the collective agreement, uh, or what they signed in 2016, um, they're just plowing ahead to, to, to move the commitments uh, that they bargained with us. They just want to put the jobs in Mexico, and that's where they're at. So obviously, uh, we're getting their attention by being out on the street. They're not satisfying their existing customer requirements. So we'll see how this thing ends. But at the bottom, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we're not we're not going to go back to work until we have some solid commitments from the company that they're going to honor the collective agreement that they signed with us. All right, and so uh, production then is stopped for now. Completely, it's been stopped since Labor Day. Look, we the company approached us, John, in 2016, and said, "Listen, we've got a major GM project uh, that it, it services their plants in Shanghai, China." And we know that's coming to an end in 2019. So if you agree, we'll do a five-year extension on the agreement. If you agree to freeze your wages, we'll put three programs into the plant. And so we did. We went to our members in 2016. We froze our wages. We plowed ahead with the uh, with the with the ratification. Our members signed up, and now all of a sudden we got an email saying, "Ah, we've changed our mind. We don't want to put those three programs anymore in, in the Windsor operations. We want to put them in Monterey, and that's just not flying." Now, if I read correctly, uh, on Tuesday of this week, uh, Justice Terrence Patterson of the Superior Court of Ontario uh, asking all parties to resolve the dispute before they return to court on Friday, tomorrow. Uh, How did he get involved? At whose behest? No, no. This, so it, it's always fascinating. So here you have a company that got $3 million of taxpayer money in, in 2017 for research and development. Um, but obviously the government never gave them that money expecting to do the research and development and then put the jobs in Mexico. Um, and so you've got a company that took $3 million. You've got a company that is violating your agreement and it's going to the courts, expecting the courts are going to say what we're doing is an illegal and everybody get back to work and satisfy the existing customer uh, responsibility so that we can leave. It's, it's, it's actually quite gutsy if you think about it. So this was the company then that decided to proceed yep. through the courts? Absolutely. So they've taken us to court. They say that we have an illegal strike going on, and they want the judge to order us back to work. So I give the I give the the, the judge some credit. He took a look at this, and he he knows that the company's using them uh, to get people back to work so that they can a violate the agreement and run to Mexico. This is a 
a company that has 11 plants in Mexico, nine in the United States, and this is the only one that they have in Canada. And, and look, they've got plants in Europe, they've got them in Asia, they've got them all over the world. But ultimately, the judge, uh, you know, he had this, his sniff test was working quite well. And then he said, listen, <laughs> I'm not going to make any decisions today. I suggest you all get to the bargaining table and find a resolution. So we have met with the company. We met them up uh, up, up as, as, as late as last night. And what they're saying, the, the starting point is that we have to agree to the closure, and we're saying no chance. So this is irreconcilable. Where's it going to go? I mean, uh, despite the community showing solidarity and rallying with you down in Windsor today, I mean, is that going to have any impact? Well, I would expect it will. I mean, no corporation likes this type of negative publicity, but they also have firm contracts with customers that need to be satisfied. I mean, this is a plant that's been working five, six, seven days a week um, for quite a while. They've been working overtime nonstop trying to, to satisfy the, uh, the GM China order. So I would expect that sometime or another GM is going to call them and say, excuse me, uh, we have, uh, you have some obligations to us as well. So, I mean, it's, it might not be, uh, you know, a way of conducting business that everybody appreciates, but ultimately we're dealing with an employer that has no commitment to its members, has zero responsibility as it relates to living up to the word of the collective agreement that they signed. Um, they're blatantly saying to us, yes, we understand what we signed, but here's what we're going to do. So they really left us no option. And so we're doing what we need to do to preserve the jobs. And frankly, I'm sick and freaking tired of it, John. I'm sick and tired of corporations making commitments, uh, workers making commitments, and then they decide, eh, we've just changed our mind, we're going to violate the agreement and, you know, sorry about your luck. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'd rather fight than just fold. Yeah, the question, though, is uh, to what end or purpose the, the fight for the, its own sake. Now, your predecessor, Buzz Hargrove, is a regular uh, contributor to this program, and I asked him about that uh, last week. And, uh, you know, it's almost like I don't want to say he's capitulated to the inevitable, but there's nothing you can do when they pull up stakes from Canada. Like, this is the only company they've got here in Canada. They go back to Mexico. What do they care about any what anybody says in this country? They're gone. Look, they don't care, but ultimately they care about their customers because this is a company, this is a billion-dollar corporation uh, that has a strong foothold within the North American auto industry. And uh, they have to satisfy their customers and don't need a reputation that they can't satisfy their customers. So they have a decision to make as well. Um, And we're not going to let them off the hook that easy. So I don't view this as inevitable. I actually think that BMAC will come to their senses and will honor the agreement, but they're, they're going to need to be nudged along the way. And I'm absolutely prepared to nudge them quite significantly. Now, Jerry, uh, because the uh, judge in the superior court wanted everybody back in court tomorrow, you going to be there? No, I won't be there, but our lawyers will be there. I see. And, uh, I guess hoping that what maybe at best uh, this could go to arbitration of sorts or uh, how else? Well, ultimately the company's going to have to agree to give us the three programs that we bargained in 2016. This isn't very complicated. Like when we sign a collective agreement, we're expected to live up to the word of the agreement, and we expect the company to do the same thing. This is you know. It's happened way too often here in Canada as we're seeing our manufacturing jobs leaving. Uh, 
And somehow, you know, we're supposed to do nothing about it. Well, we're doing something about it. This isn't just about NEMAC. This is about Canadian manufacturing jobs, and this is about corporations living up to their commitments. And we're going to force them to do that. Like I said, this is a company that's got $3 million for research and development in 2017. Nobody gave them $3 million to do the research and development and then build the products for crying out loud in Mexico. So this is a company that's showing their middle finger to the federal government, provincial government, the community of Windsor, and frankly, we're going to make a stand, and we are. Well, what can the governments do to intervene? Well, first of all, I, I had discussions today with Nav D. Baines. I've spoken to the PMO's office. I've spoken to Christia Freeland, and look, they're, they're out there quite actively saying, look, this is a bad decision by NEMAC, and I expect that the federal government is going to become much more aggressive based on the conversations I had today. So, you know, they're the ones that made the commitment to NEMAC, so you can't have NEMAC just saying to the government, yeah, thank you very much for your contribution, but and thank you very much for the development costs, but we're going to do the work in Mexico. It's just a slap in the face to everybody, and we're not tolerating it. Well, I would submit then, if this is uh, that critical, and it ought to be part of a discussion during a federal election campaign, if no other time, right? Well, there's no question. That's exactly what is happening. Uh, people are out on the streets in Windsor. There was hundreds and hundreds at the demonstration today. And it is a very high-profile issue. And listen, jobs in the economy are going to be the centerpiece of any federal election, provincial election, municipal election. It has to be about people. And uh, that's why this issue is going on right now, and it's very public, and people are going to have to, people are going to, have to step up. I'm going to ask you finally, just to pivot away from this, Jerry Diaz with us, the national president of the Unifor, uh, because we're going to talk about it in our next segment with our panel. But since the election's been called, Canadian Taxpayers Federation came out with a list of suggestions they'd like to see any of the parties adopt as policy. And number four is particularly interesting. I know you've got some participation in there with your union. Uh, They say scrap the media bailout. Media independence is critical to any functioning democracy. And efforts to make media dependent on taxpayers' handouts obviously undermines that independence. And you say what? Oh, give me strength. There's been 250 local newspapers have closed in the last few years. So somebody's going to have to argue with me about how less voices, less newspapers, less radio, less communication is somehow better for our thriving democracy. I don't buy it. I mean, this whole argument that somehow the least informed that people are somehow is stronger for our democracy doesn't work for me. I think it's a nonsense argument. So, you know, ultimately we're in favor of a strong democracy which includes a strong media or we're not you can't have it both ways you can't have the the, the business federation saying that 600 million dollars is a waste of money and saying that they're pro-democracy when in fact they're trying to silence the voices the, the hypocrisy is overwhelming but a lot of people are upset uh, as i've heard it here just you know feedback on the program that unifor is on the advisory board that picks the panel who determines where the 600 million dollar media that's fund- not true that's not true There's no question. First of all, we have a retired reporter who worked, if you can imagine, for a variety of different newspaper chains, including Sun Media, which, look, if we're being candid, Post Media is not exactly the most labor-friendly institution that we have here in Canada. But we don't determine who gets the money. It's just a, a broad discussion on what the criteria should look like, what constitutes real journalism. So it's not about who the winners and losers are. It's about determining the criteria, and I will argue that if the editors have their have their uh, have their have their people on the panel, if the corporations have people on the panel, why shouldn't a union have a voice that represents the most media in the entire country? At least also have a voice. If the boss can have a voice, certainly the workers can. 
Well, the argument was that uh, you've shown that you're might maybe uh, selective or inimical to certain people or voices in the media and that that would be tainting uh, how this money gets dispersed or you would pick people who would then, you know, sort of take their cues and, you know, oh, want to God. choose certain journalists. Well, that was the argument, Jerry. No, 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 John, I understand what the argument is, but think about it. First of all, this whole argument that journalists can be bought, I think, is insulting to journalists. I don't buy that somehow a journalist is somehow going to be tainted by, A, the employer that he gets his paycheck from, or B, the union that he pays his dues from. I don't buy any of that. Listen, I represent the workers in post-media as it relates to the sun. And do you think that the journalists with the Sun, before they write an article that is critical to the labor movement, think about where they send their dues? Of course not. It's about journalistic integrity, and I have so much respect for the journalists in this country to think that somehow that they are going to second-guess what they're going to write about because where they send their dues is nonsense. I mean, one can argue that where they get their paycheck probably is more prevalent, but I don't even buy that. I think that journalists in this country are doing an incredible job. They write what they believe, and they don't use any outside influences uh, to make that determination. So to think that because Unifor played a major role, by the way, just let me even back up, it was the major employers that pushed me to get involved with them to get the funding, post-media, Torstar, Globe and Mail, the major employers all sat down and said, please, Jerry, come and help us. This is a critical time in the history of democracy in this country. So if the employers wanted my involvement, somehow people have to respect that at least we're going to have one voice out of six. All right. We'll let you go on that note. I appreciate your weighing in this afternoon. Good luck down Windsor Way. Thank you very much, John. Always my pleasure. You got it. Jerry Diaz is the national president with Unifor. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.